five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher. Today on the Space Economy Podcast, we have the second episode of our annual three-part winter series. Today, we have another Future in Space Operations episode, continuing our series related to NASA's return to the moon with the Artemis program. While last week's episode focused on the Viper robotic precursor mission to the moon's south pole, This episode focuses on the Lunar Gateway's first habitable element, the Habitation and Logistics Outpost, known as HALO. The guest speaker is Chad Davis, Manager, Human Spaceflight Integrations and Operations, and HALO Integrated Operations Manager at Northrop Grumman. The presentation that goes with this podcast is available on our website. Before we start, though, here's a message from our sponsor, Circo Canada. We would like to thank Circo Canada and our other sponsors, as well as our loyal Patreon supporters who make this podcast possible. With 40 years experience in the space sector, Circo offers a full range of operational and engineering services. Through long-standing partnerships like the one Circo enjoys with the European Space Agency, Circo contributes to programs like Copernicus and Onda, supporting open data and user experience. With best-in-class capabilities in Earth observation, Circo offers a wide range of space and ground support from data capture to data handling to data exploitation. For more information on Circo's space capabilities, visit circo.com backslash na backslash Canada. Okay. Now on to the Future in Space Operations episode on Halo. All right. Thank you. Uh, I'm assuming everyone has their slides up. Uh, and I will do my best to try to remember to call out each slide number uh, as I flip through them. Um, again, my name's Chad Davis. I'm a Northrop Grumman. I'm uh, the HALO uh, Integration Operations Manager on the program today, and I also work within our Human Spaceflight Integration and Operations uh, Group uh, in the Integrated Ops Directorate at Northrop Grumman under our Human Exploration Office. So uh, going into slide two, just to give those who aren't familiar with Northrop Grumman, uh, here's an overview of, of the, the company's four major sectors, uh, comprised of about 90,000 employees, uh, specifically the uh, aeronautics, defense mission, and then the space, space systems sector. So we'll uh, look at that a little bit more if you can go to slide three. Uh, slide three shows how the space sector is made up of uh, five different groups, uh, strategic space, tactical space, which uh, which we fall in, uh, payload and ground, launch and missile defense, and uh, strategic deterrent. Uh, the tactical system space uh, encompasses the, uh, the science and commercial communication satellites, defense and uh, space components. And I failed to highlight uh, the uh, the launch systems group there, uh, since they also touch on part of the uh, the human exploration uh, pieces, uh, which I'll get into on the next slide. So if we can go to this one, see uh, that we're an industry leader with end-to-end 
Space Mission Solutions, focused on agility, affordability, innovation, and reliability. Our uh, launch systems provide for NASA's SLS program, as well as we provide two of the three solid rocket motors that make up the Orion Launch Abort System, uh, one being the attitude control motor and the other being the uh, reverse thrust uh, abort motor. Uh, both of those have supported two successful integrated flight tests back with PA-1, as well as uh, the attitude abort test on AA-2. Uh, our uh, encompasses the human exploration and operations uh, area, and we support the NASA ISS Gateway and Artisans programs. Uh, we've been flying the, the cargo resupply missions to the ISS with our Cygnus vehicle uh, since 2014, uh, starting with the demo mission, and we currently uh, have NG-14 birth to the ISS today. Um, with cargo activities going on uh, on a routine basis. Uh, we're also, obviously, the purpose of this talk is uh, working on the HALO program, the Habitation and Logistics Outpost, uh, developed for NASA in, uh, in unison with Maxar to provide the first habitable element uh, for the gateway, as well as uh, what we'll get into the today discussing the, the co-manifested vehicle piece of it where we're integrated with the MaxArt uh, power propulsion element. And we're also working on the human systems lander, the HLS program, teamed up with Blue Origin, Lockheed Martin, Draper, uh, with Northrop Grumman focusing on the, uh, the transfer element. Again, try to include some nice pictures to give you a, an understanding of some of the different uh, vehicles and systems I just mentioned. So if you can go to slide five, I thought this was a good roadmap to show how that the company leveraged uh, their technology development efforts with the Cygnus vehicle and evolved to where we are today uh, with respect to the co-manifested vehicle uh, which makes up the PPE and HALO to support the, the Gateway program. So it's a little bit of an evolutionary history on how we got from the initial Cygnus demo vehicle to the current CMV. Uh, and if I throw out any acronyms, I've, I've tried to cover all those in the slides, but if somehow I missed something, uh, please interrupt me and ask, what does that mean? And, and I'll uh, translate for you. And so uh, the next few slides, I'm going to step through We'll give a little bit more detail to the evolution of these different vehicles as we work our way around to the, uh, the co-manifested or the CMV vehicle. So next slide, slide six, is our Cygnus spacecraft. Cygnus uh, is designed to be an advanced maneuvering spacecraft. It incorporates uh, elements grown from Northrop Grumman and its partners uh, using existing and flight-proven technologies. It's a semi-autonomous delivery system with both pressurized and unpressurized payload delivery capabilities and cargo uh, that meets NASA's human spaceflight rated requirements to be berthed uh, and to allow crew members to go in and out of Cygnus while on station for uh, extended periods of time. Uh, the Cygnus spacecraft was developed under the CRS contract uh, in the COTS contract initially, the, the 
precursor to the uh, to the CRS contract, and we're currently on the CRS2 contract right now. Uh, our primary mission objectives, uh, it's twofold. A lot of people think of it as cargo delivery, cargo and science delivery to the ISS, but uh, another primary function or role that we provide is trash removal. Uh, there's not a door. There's not a, a take-out-the-trash day on ISS except whenever you have a visiting vehicle that's going to take it away for you. And that's one of the advantages of the Cygnus vehicle uh, having destructive uh, reentry where we burn up in the atmosphere where uh, we provide all the internal space available to allow uh, the ISS to offload as much as they're able to fit inside the vehicle for us to do uh, disposal for them. And under the CRS-2 contract, we've uh, developed other capabilities for external ORU-type removal and disposals as well. So, again, trash removal is a very important item uh, in a, uh, a closed-loop system like a uh, space station. Uh, and then, finally, uh, the Cigna system is, is flight-proven, low-risk design, and uh, we've had 14 highly successful missions to date. <laughs> So if you could go to slide seven. Uh, uh, Chad, Chad, this is Harley. Got yes, a quick sir. question. Got a quick question sure, on your second to, last, uh, uh, second to last bullet there. And, I, of course, I know what the words mean, but could, could you explain a little bit? Don't have to go into a lot of depth. depth. Semi-autonomous. Um, so what, you know, yeah, what is, um, what are the characteristics of your vehicle, semi-autonomous? And that's an interesting point. It meets NASA's human spaceflight rated vehicle requirements, which specifically are for the Cygnus, um, for the Cygnus vehicle, for the Cygnus spacecraft. Yes. So to, to the dissect your question, semi-autonomous. So Cygnus itself obviously is uh, doesn't have a human in the loop, uh, no. other than the ground the ground controllers on the ground. So there are commands that we send uh, to make things happen on the vehicle in real time, uh, as well as there are uh, autonomous scripts that occur uh, in systems that perform autonomously during the, the rendezvous phase and so forth as you're, as you're flying in using the, uh, the, the rendezvous proc-op systems. Uh, you're not having to send the command, so it's in its semi-autonomous mode. However, in the event you were to need to abort, i.e. send the command from the ground, or the crew on board has the abort capability as well, or hold or retreat capability, you've got that option to take it out of an autonomous mode into a, a manual mode to do what needs to be done to, to save the situation. Uh, and I'm sorry, what was your second question? Second question, and thank you, by the way. The, the, the purpose of my question, I should have been more explicit, was the, the space station crew have some level of control, you, and you described that neatly, so thank you. The other one was the human spaceflight rated vehicle requirements, which I would, I, the way I read that was presumably, as it's a, because it has to approach, it's a big thing, it has to approach the space station, there have to be human spaceflight requirements, limitations, and so on and so forth. But is it more than that? Was the vehicle originally designed years and years and years ago that one day an evolved version of it was going to be, you know, it was going to very possibly um, 
carry humans or, or be occupied by humans? Uh, well, uh, uh, right. No, no, no. I'll, I'll try to speak within the bounds of my, my knowledge on it. Uh, the Cygnus vehicle itself is not what you would call human rated. It yeah. is a, sup, a supplement of the human rating. In other words, we do not have an internal ecosystem. We do yeah. not have an in, internal flight control system, if you were to put crew inside. So by definition, it is not human rated, but it is supplemented to that. Once it connects to the ISS, it has and supports human rating requirements so that it's safe for crew to be inside the vehicle. Uh, in other words, our IMB ducting helps circulate the air so that the environment inside meets uh, what requirements are specified for crew members to be inside and so forth like that. Uh, so it is, uh, I use the word supplement a lot. It, it doesn't fall into that category until we're connected to the ISS and then we're more in, in the framework with it. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, it does. Thank you. Thank you so much. Not a problem. All right. So going on to any other questions on slide six? All right. So going to slide seven. Uh, again, stepping through that uh, roadmap, how we got to the CMD, the next evolution was the next step studies. Uh, those kicked off in two phases. Uh, the, the first phase was uh, looking at a cislunar architect, architecture that supported uh, some type of deep space habitat, deep space gateway. Uh, and the acronyms changed quite a bit from the from the start of Next Step to where we are today on the Gateway Program. Uh, but uh, at the time, we were looking at the primary element, the initial cislunar habitat, the ICH was what we started out calling it. Uh, and, of course, again, we leveraged our Cygnus uh, pressurized cargo module, the PCM, as a, as a habitable element. We obviously have uh, the heritage of the of the service module, which is the, uh, the, uh, what I'll call the brains of, of Cygnus today that has the power, propulsion, the GNC, all the, all the, the things that drive, uh, the pressurized element up to the gateway. I mean, up to the ISS. So we leveraged those two, uh, primary element pieces as we looked at the, uh, the next step, uh, architecture study in phase one. Uh, so you can see that in the upper right corner. And then as we went into phase two, we were selected to continue into phase two. It was a, as a, a proposal win for that. Uh, so again, building off what we had learned in phase one, uh, the primary focus for phase two was to evolve those, uh, lessons learning capabilities to ultimately build a full scale mock-up for evaluation by NASA. So, uh, uh, we went ahead and looked at those capabilities, and at the end of that study, we had delivered a, uh, a full-scale mock-up. Uh, our particular location was at the Johnson Space Center. Uh, we provided that, and we performed uh, day-in-the-life testing with, with four actual crew members. Prior to the crew members, we had uh, subject matter experts that came inside the module, and, and performed day in the life and various evaluations of the internal layout, how we had proposed it. Um, uh, for that particular vehicle, we treated the, uh, our, uh, our module as the augmentation module. 
because we've seen, if you can see in the lower right corner, we sort of looked at that and said, hey, we can evolve the augmentation module into various uh, element pieces, the logistics, uh, the, the more capable augmentation, as well as the habitat and so forth. So we sort of proposed those, those things as we performed the phase two study. Uh, but again, our system had the full capabilities uh, to provide backup. The, they basically gave us and said, hey, you've got a PPE, build off that, because at that point, NASA was in the process of awarding the PPE contract. So uh, we went ahead and said, hey, our system could provide augmentation to those with additional ECLUS with GNC, since we had our own service module to drive us out there and different things. So those were the things that were evaluated by the customer uh, during the phase two study as well. So if you can go to slide eight, and that uh, essentially uh, led us to the point where as we rolled into the end of phase two, uh, we were sole source selected to support the HALO program or was, I believe they initially called it the mini uh, habitable module at the time, but evolved into the acronym HALO. Uh, so we, we were going to be notified that we were going to be the first pressurized module to support the crew operations in the gateway with the concept that we had proposed to uh, Next Step Phase 2. Uh, so we began the, to support, you know, the Artemis mission to understand those capabilities associated with it. Uh, and the target was Artemis 3 would be the one that would be uh, for bringing crew up to the gateway itself, which at the time would just be the PPE and the uh, the HALO module, uh, along with uh, the lander and a, a, uh, a logistics vehicle waiting on Orion to arrive to support that Phase 1 mission. So... Uh, NG, again, built off the, building off the Cygnus vehicle and the, uh, the, the designs that we, uh, accomplished from the day in the life operations during the next step study and so forth. We applied all those to, uh, really help increase our capabilities within the, within our halo design by increasing the habitable space, uh, providing two radial ports with the one axial port, uh, and then uh, the flexibility with the, the service module could be used to deliver or be co-manifested. At that time, uh, we were looking at still using our own service module. So part of the process would be to fly ourselves out to NRHO and then perform uh, rendezvous, prox ops, and docking with the PPE. So that was the initial plan uh, as we were heading toward SDR. So next slide, slide nine. So as we as we were uh, going toward SDR, uh, some of the things that that came out of SDR was it looked as though where they wanted to do uh, a change to the approach and no longer use a service module but co-manifest this with the PPE itself, which would offer its own advantages, uh, you know, with launch reduction and, and things along those lines. So what we did for from a systems perspective change, as you can see, our initial halo going into SDR on the top left versus uh, what the CMB looks like on the top right. So the service module was replaced with the PPE. We no longer had our solar rays uh, 
on, on the service module. Well, they were attached to the service module, but we no longer use the solar array uh, to power our halo system. We would get that from PPE or our own internal batteries. Uh, we would no longer have uh, propulsive systems, wouldn't be required along with the GNC associated with those. Uh, the requirements for being able to command to drive the vehicle would not be as stringent uh, for since we weren't going to be doing the actual flight out to NRHO with the service module. So that reduced part of the, uh, the ground comm needs. And then uh, there was no need for the additional NDS uh, NASA docking system uh, to connect the PPE and the HALO together to perform that rendezvous. So we had replaced that, if you see in the lower picture, uh, the, the inter-element adapter uh, is basically a, a structure that was uh, identified and being designed that will essentially link the PPE to the HALO module as we uh, as we become one as, as a CMV vehicle. So as far as mission changes go, uh, the additional integration of systems and checkout would happen more on the ground versus in the MRHO, which is uh, definitely a, a risk reduction item there uh, since it gives you the capabilities to work anything you find versus a vehicle being uh, several thousands of miles away from home. Uh, and also Northrop Grumman no longer performs uh, the, the space flight, as I mentioned, the command and control. We reduced the MCC efforts on that. Uh, we had, we got down to a single launch versus two, uh, the transition phase. Now that was a big delta for us. Our system was going to get the, uh, the halo out there, depending on the orbital mechanics at the time, anywhere from seven, seven to 12 days. Uh, the PPE uses electric propulsion, so it's got a, a longer transient time. So, uh, that was a, that was a change in the duration of, of the transit to NRHO for us. Uh, and then, which by definition drives the radiation exposure, it, it goes up because you're going through the Van Allen belts uh, at a lot slower uh, multiple iteration pace as you're spiraling out on the, uh, the EP system or the electric propulsion system. Excuse me, Chad. Yes, sir. Yeah, Chad, this is Dan. Um, it, it's really interesting. Um, the One of the – what I see is a big advantage of CME – is that it allows for HALO to be entirely dependent upon PPE. That is, if they were ever, if they were ever separate, um, HALO would have to have its own power. HALO would have to have its own propulsion. Um, but by flying them together, um, HALO doesn't have to be concerned about that. That's, I, I see that as an advantage. Yeah. Yeah, that you, you take basically that you can look at it in multiple ways. It's, it's a potential taking it all the way down to the basic elements of you reduce the launch rate, which is a cost saving and a potential uh, reduction in risk. Uh, and then you, you potentially reduce the complexity. As you mentioned, you don't have to have two different prop systems or two different power systems. Uh, you've got the one. So that you've got opportunities to uh, to have an advantage to it, as you as you mentioned, and then there there are some areas where uh, you, you potentially can look at it from the other perspective of you you 
narrowed it down to where if you had have had the extra set of solar rays, maybe that could have been used as a redundancy, but but maybe not. It was one of those that was too early, uh, you know, whenever the decision was made and we changed from one to the other to understand whether or not it, we really had those advantages. Uh, and so we just really rolled our sleeves up and jumped into how we need Okay, thank you. PPE system. But, but you're right. And, and overall, from a systems integration perspective, it does provide streamline in some of those areas you mentioned. Uh, go, go, go right. ahead. Thank you. <laughs> uh, sure thing. Uh, and then uh, I can't remember if I hit the last two bullets. So we just reduced the, the rendezvous between the two and obviously uh, the post-checkout activities, like I mentioned before, uh, we get to do those, a majority of those on the ground. Yes, we'll still have a few that we'll do once once the CMB gets out the NRHO, uh, we'll run through some, some checkouts, but not near the, the list that we had before whenever they were going to make for the first time uh, at, out in the NRHO. So next slide, slide 10. So the PPE and HALO equals the CMB. It's the first phase of the gateway. Uh, it provides the capabilities for the early habitable utilization of the gateway uh, with uh, providing the crew operational space internally. Uh, it provides the option for external payload accommodations. You've got external robotic interfaces that we're planning for to support part of uh, the phase two gateway architecture as it expands. We've got power and thermal controls uh, within the module to support uh, the system, oxygen, nitrogen. So we've got our own uh, form of ecosystem uh, to support the crew members on board as well as crew systems to support logistics uh, and crew consumables and internal payloads. Uh, we've got uh, the potential. It provides three visiting vehicle docking ports, two radially, one axial. Uh, docking port. You can see the uh, the two dish antennas popped up on the forward end of Halo. That's part of the ESA uh, lunar comm system uh, package, the HLCS, uh, which will which is riding along on, on top of the the Halo module itself. Uh, and then of course, you know, we're we're an interface uh, for potential PPE refueling options. Um, the halo is going to be living in the near rectilinear halo orbit. I apologize. I keep, I believe I kept saying the NRHO, never explained what that was. Um, and that's the primary orbit that NASA selected around the moon to support the gateway missions and to optimize, uh, the landers to be able to hit the, the polar regions, uh, and to make it, uh, easier for Orion to get in and out of, uh, in orbit in, in that particular orbit around the moon. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, the, the new name, the CMV between the two. So slide 11, please. Uh, so the primary systems that HALO retained, even though we became the CMV, I like to show this picture just to give the perspective with the, with the PPE out of, out of view. These are the systems that still have to be developed and flushed out and integrated across, uh, our our design with PP and obviously the follow-on phase two efforts uh, as the gateway and its other elements are potentially uh, identified. So you've got the the typical 
uh, CNDH, command data handling, obviously can't do anything without flight software. Uh, the, the CBCS is the computer-based control systems, which houses the, the, uh, the fault management systems. EPS, electrical power system, uh, your TCR, which is your comm system, telemetry, command, and ranging, your thermal control system, your ECLIS, uh, crew systems, which I mentioned a second ago, that has to do with a lot of the internals associated with, uh, with hardware that supports the crew themselves, uh, structure mechanical, and then cargo and utilization, both internally and externally. You can actually see in that picture, uh, just right behind the, uh, the upper, uh, dish antenna, that small round, uh, appendage that's, that's on the, the exterior payload. That's, you know, one of the grapple fixtures, uh, for, for the potential future arm that would be utilized on the gateway. So we've identified various locations on, on the, uh, exterior of the gateway hole to support uh, the uh, gateway arm once it arrives. And then, of course, as we mentioned before about the uh, the refueling capability, even though we do not have a propulsion system on the current CMV version of HALO, we do have uh, piping uh, to support fuel transfer from one of our radio ports to the PPE area. So we do have propulsion engineers supporting the program that are making sure that we're meeting all of the, uh, the NASA requirements for refueling capabilities down the road. So next slide, slide 12, please. Xenon, right? Uh, not any other propellant, just like uh, for the PPE, so xenon gas, I assume? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I believe that's uh, the uh, primary prop for the PPE. I don't... I was going to say um, I, I probably should add a, a, a breakout of, of the details of what, what all the PPE has relative to that. But, again, to support the PPE, it would, it would definitely be part of that. All right. And then slide 12, and for some reason my uh, slide number fell off that one. I apologize, but you should be looking at a cross-section of the interior of the halo. Uh, so you you can see the uh, it includes a crew workstation area. We got a, a, a person standing there using their their uh, computer system to uh, monitor telemetry of the gateway itself, uh, and then uh, payload internal payload accommodations. You can see the one radial port just aft of the uh, the individual there. Uh, you can see with one hatch open, then it shows uh, the other hatch in the closed position. Gives you an idea of how we try to optimize the volume uh, in the area. You can see the stowage and logistics, cargoes, tools, equipment uh, that are sort of distributed throughout. And then, of course, exercise area there in the aft, that sort of open area as you look at the aft in towards the dome. The dome, obviously, would be where the... Uh, the structural interface, the PPE is located, and that more open internal area is where eventually NASA will select equipment. So that'll give the crew sort of their orientation. So uh, it is not quite as large as a 4.4 meter diameter ISS module. 
This is a three meter diameter, just like our Cygnus vehicle. Uh, but one thing I probably should have mentioned was back during our next step phase two studies, when we built the high fidelity mock-up, we actually built a three meter augmentation module, as I showed, but we also had a 4.4 meter, uh, we called it the, uh, the habitat module. Um, uh, and so that gave us, uh, an insight into the crew's perspective when we did the day and the live testing as we took the surveys at the end of those tests and so forth of how much of a difference of preference they really had. We had crew uh, compartments inside both diameter vehicles in different work areas in both diameter vehicles. So, you know, looking at their responses, they really didn't have, if, if anything, we, we draw, we saw a stronger preference for the, the three meter versus the four because of the, the 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 less efficiency you can use the larger the larger diameter. So again, that's why we uh, press forward with the with the three meter diameter as you see today. And of course, the key is just optimization on the internal placement, which we we got uh, a lot of exposure to during the next step phase. And then going on to slide thirteen, uh, it's more than just PowerPoint. I like showing this slide. Uh, the first pieces of the, of the halo has arrived at Talisalania in Italy. They're, they're the builders that build our pressurized cargo module for the Cygnus vehicle. So hardware is underway. The forgings are there. The, the work is, is began to actually build flight hardware. Uh, we just completed our PDR last week with NASA. So, uh, again, things, things are moving out. And, and moving forward uh, to make Halo and, and Phase 1 of Gateway a, a reality. So slide 14, uh, just to summarize, uh, following the, the SDR, NASA informed us uh, that they wanted us to go co-manifest with the mission between the PPE and our Halo module. Uh, to touch back, I believe, on, on you know, the, the comment that I believe it was Dan made, you know, we reduced the launches from from two to one, we eliminated uh, some risk by removing rendezvous and, and docking out in Cislunar. We allowed opportunities for integrated testing on the ground. One one bullet that I should have added is was we reduced some of the complexity, like the removal of the prop system and so forth and so on. But the CMV team uh, with NASA, Maxar, and and Northrop, uh, we've been working to get together uh, ever since to develop our mission concepts of operation, uh, to understand the pre-launch operations, to get all those integrated checkouts, as well as, excuse me, as well as the flight phases for a, for a co-manifested vehicle. And then uh, right now the CMV is, uh, we'll go for launch targeting the uh, late 2023 timeframe to support the Boots on the Moon 2024. And uh, the CMB supporting the phase two of the gateway and the follow-on is, is Artemis of all. Uh, and then if you go to slide 15, hopefully that's the future where gateway gets us to down the road. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Your feedback is very much appreciated. Please use our Twitter channel at The Economy Space to contact us or send an email to 
podcast at spaceq.ca. As always, if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash spaceq.ca.